Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. G'day there, everybody. Welcome again to the V8 Sleuth Podcast, episode 93 this week. And we're going to take a look at one of the top teams in the Repco Supercars Championship ahead of a very special milestone next week. Before we get on to that, Will Dale is back with me, not in the office at HQ. Uh, we are Melbourne lockdowning again. We are getting very used to this. And again, you are on my video screen for, well, something completely new. And, well, no, it's not new. It's pretty similar to what we did all the last year. Welcome to you. I was going to say it's new for 2021, back in stage four spec, but hopefully not for very much longer. Fingers crossed. We're hoping to uh, get out of it ASAP. Um, on this episode of the podcast, Will, we're taking a special look at Tickford Racing, of course, the team formerly known as Ford Performance Racing and Pro Drive Racing Australia. We actually had one of our listeners suggest some time ago that we should do some focuses on the histories of all the different teams in the Supercars Championship, and we felt that it was really relevant to look at Tickford Racing this week because next week at Bathurst, they start their 250th uh, championship round in the Supercars Championship, which is a super stat. They've generated a, a pile of numbers along the journey. Uh, they're not the first one to start 250 rounds, but since 2003, they've been there ever since. No, absolutely. It's hard to imagine the sport without them um purely because they've been near or at the front or a contender for most of that time. And there's not very many teams you can say that about. Yeah, they've, they've been, they've probably never been the conversation of supercars. It's kind of always been HRT, AAA, Stone Brothers early in the period, uh, DJR, Tim Penske in more recent times. But they're always part of the conversation, even if they're, they're not being the conversation. Of course, they won the championship in 2015 with Mark Winterbottom, a couple of Bathurst wins in 13 and 14, spearheaded by Frosty and, and Chaz Mostert. They've got a really interesting place in the history of supercars racing. They've won 74 championship races, uh, 86 pole positions, 250 podium results across the period. A bunch of different drivers uh, have driven in this organisation, lots of different sponsors, lots, lots of different customer cars, and there's <laughs> lots to talk about. We'll cover off some of that in a second, but uh, last week, before you and I jumped on this Zoom call, I had a Zoom call myself with uh, the big cheese, Tim Edwards, who's been there since 2005. He's been there for all bar one of their 74 championship race wins. Uh, here's my chat with Tim, who takes us on a bit of a drive down memory lane from the team that he turned up uh, to, to spearhead in 2005. Tim, 250 rounds for Tickford Racing. You've been there for not quite all of 250, but pretty close, probably more than just about anybody else. 2005, you started. What were your impressions of the team when it was then known as FPR before you, you walked in the door there at Campbellfield? Wow. Well, first of all, it took, it took a few weeks um, for DR to convince me to actually take the job because... I'd kind of, I'd, I'd left Formula One, you know, 17 years living over there, left Formula One, uh, came back to Australia uh, and promised my wife that I was exiting motorsport. So <laughs> was, I'd, I'd landed a gig with the Commonwealth Games as a, um, as a special advisor because obviously that was in the build-up to the, what was the 2006 Melbourne Commonwealth Games. 
And uh, yeah, DR gives me a call. I go and have breakfast with him, comes out, Phil Keed largely showed me around the facility and what was going on. And uh, yeah, I wasn't, um, I wasn't convinced after that first visit because I thought there's a bit of work to do here. Um, and so, yeah, I thought about it a bit more and talked to Phil a bit more actually and talked to DR a bit more and, uh, and, um, and then ultimately decided, look, the, the, the ingredients were here. You know, it was clear that the ingredients were here. Um, it just sort of needed somebody to help put all the right ingredients into the saucepan and, um, and make the right stew. And, you know, and that it took some time, but, you know, there's some, it was clear there's some good people here, but they were just completely worn out. You know, there's people, I think the first time I came here was 10 days before the AGP, which was actually the first race of the 2005 season. And Greg Ritter was de- debuting, or well, set to debut the first true FPR car because up until that point they'd been using the BHAG shells and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Friday was still in one of those in the in the cat car, and then they proudly showed off the the car that I'm building, and it was like half a car, and they were going to be racing at, at Grand Prix ten days later, and you could just see the drained look on people's faces that had been sleeping on benches, and they were just worn out and, and I think that was the thing that scared me most on my first visit was the, the fact that they're going to race that car in well they've actually got to be there at the track in about seven days time and half the car hasn't either been designed or made yet <laughs> so um, yeah that, that was that was my first impression <laughs> when you said you had a there was a clearly the ingredients were there the cake hadn't been cooked right because the results hadn't come and when cakes get cooked right they look right and they taste good at the end what did you feel you had to do? Where did you start? Because when you've got a pile of stuff to do in a role like yours, there's there's a lot to look at. But what was the first priority walking in the door there in, in March 05? Well, to be fair, you've got to recognise, you know, they were, they were building this team up from scratch, really. Yeah, they bought the remnants and, and a few staff out of Glen Seaton Racing, but that was a, a minnow of a team. You know, they were... ProDrive came in and they wanted to create a ProDrive team, which is, you know, your own machine shop, your own fabrication shop, your own composites department, all of those things. So, you know, it it went from a small team mentality where you sort of bought stuff off the shelf almost to someone that wanted to design and create everything themselves. And, you know, there was a bit of influence from the UK as well. And I think it'd be fair to say they didn't quite understand the championship as well as they thought, you know, sitting opposite side of the globe. Um, and so, but, you know, there was some good people here, a lot of people here, and the team had, you know, some good um, partners behind it as well. Um, but they really just needed somebody to actually try and harness it all. You know, there's some very clever engineers here, but engineers aren't always the best man managers. You know, they, you know, they have a slightly different, you know, I'll be a terrible engineer, but I'd like to think I've got better man management skills than I have as engineering skills. So it was a, more of a steering exercise more than anything. And obviously when I initially joined, um, it was myself and Rod Barrett both joined on the same day. We both started on the 29th of March 2005 and uh, he came in initially to look after the commercial side of it to, to, to um, make sure that was humming along nicely. And obviously I was, you know, everything else. And so, you know, it was it were a, a duo for a couple of years until Rod moved across and ended up in the in the, the road car FPV business and just left me with um with this <laughs> fifteen years ago. <laughs> and, or whatever it was. It's, and it's and it's still there with you. 
It's um, hard to believe that it, what is it, 17, 17 years or something now? It's a, yeah, a long time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the same it's duration long, I actually spent in Europe in Formula One. <laughs> well, you can beat that record now. You've, uh, you're going to go past that. Uh, when, did you, when did you feel, mate, that the team became a genuine front runner that could win races regularly? How long did the process take? Because I remember, you know, Mark Winterbottom came along in uh, what, 2006. Jason Bright was there and left. left. Steve Richards arrived. I sort of remember feeling about 07, 08, you were a regular front runner and it wasn't it wasn't abnormal to see your cars on the podiums. Was that about the time you felt that you were rolling up genuine contenders more often than not? Yeah, definitely. I mean, 2007 obviously was the, you know, and, and I still remember that Bathurst because that was certainly the, the win that got away that one. You know, we've obviously had a couple of wins subsequent to that, but 2007 was where, you know, Frosty and Richo, Fastest in every session, every practice session, qualified on the front row. You know, they just, you know, dominated all day and led the race with 13 laps to go. And then, obviously, you remember Frosty came down and he was the he was the pioneer. He was the first one to see the sprinkle of water at the chase as he skated off across the chase. But we've still got the bonnet off that car um, signed on the wall by everybody who was involved in that in that race that year because. You know, we felt, you know, we, we won that race. We didn't win it, but, you know, that was as damn close as you ever get, you know, when you just dominate the whole weekend. So I think, you know, to be at Bathurst in 2007 and that competitive really showed the sort of, you know, the, the, the couple of years of work that had gone in, you know, from when we signed Frosty in 2005 to, to sort of, okay, we're, we're sort of in the hunt now and we sort of chipped away at it and got better and better and by... 2012, which was the last year of the you know the old blueprint cars, ourselves and Triple Eight won every single race for the 2012 mm. season. Yeah, it, it, that that's the sort of thing that shows that you're you're in the fight. Although the championship didn't pull you away at the time, you were. I think there was a streak there where Frosty and Will Davison won seven or eight or nine races in a row across a few different rounds. There was that infamous Mark Dutton call of. Uh, what was it? Have him or have, have him, him off, or whatever it was. Yeah, Perth, yeah. <laughs> but we ended up we ended up getting the one two. That's right. That's right. Last yeah. lap, last corner. So there was great rivalry there. Um, the identities changed a few times over the journey. FPR Pro Drive Racing Australia, and of course, now it's it's Tickford Racing. If, as, apart from having to constantly redesign logos and rebrand and change your email addresses and all that stuff, has that caused many headaches? Or has it caused any confusion in the market? Or has it been able to just keep rolling along and everyone knows who you are and what you are because those names have kind of been what well, was FPR it was owned by ProDrive and then it became ProDrive Racing Australia as its own entity do you feel like well, it's it seamlessly rolled through well it was always ProDrive Racing Australia so actually even when it was called FPR we were Ford, we were ProDrive Racing Australia trading as Ford Performance mm. Racing. So it's the, all, company. The, the company has always been ProDrive Racing Australia. It had a trading name for, for a bit. Then, obviously, when that trading name was taken off us by Ford, we had to just revert to what was the actual company name. So it's actually only had one company name change, same ABN the whole way through, but yeah. it's actually only had one name change, and that was from ProDrive Racing Australia to Tickford Racing, and that was all to coincide with the fact that we'd, um, you know, we'd, we'd launched the road car business, you know, we brought Tickford back to life, so it made perfect sense to obviously align that with the race team. But, yeah, so actually only one company name change, we just dropped a trading name um, yeah. along the way. 
Yeah. 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 And look, you know, not not ideal. And I think the, the the middle ground where we were PRA was probably not the best name. Um, but I think Tickford Racing, it's actually, you know, it's it's worked really well. And obviously aligned with the road car business. I think, you know, we found our we found our home. Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars, unforgettable. How deep are your, your fans? I know I've, I've been out to the workshop plenty of times with um, fan events and membership stuff that we've done in the past where some of the events and launches and things like that. Um, how, all race fans, all teams have hardcore fans of their team. What's the most hardcore of the fans of Tickford Racing that you've got there in your member program? What level? I, I met a guy at, the, at your workshop a couple of years ago who was acquiring all the old panels from all your cars and virtually building his own supercar oh. with panels. I mean, I think he's got to be P1, doesn't he? Oh, he's P1, but that's only the, that's only a small part of it. So um, I hope he doesn't mind, but Brian's his name. I won't, I won't give you that's a story, right. but Brian, yeah, no, I remember Brian, Brian. Yeah. Brian with the, and his surname starts with B. Um, Brian, uh, he's not only got a car uh, that's got panels from multiple years and wheels and everything else for multiple years that he tows around on a trailer. He also has a mannequin that wears a, uh, a uh, one of our old race suits that lives with him. Uh, and he also bought the uh, Bottolo uh, XR6 show car that was obviously something we had for, for Bottolo, which he proudly drives around and drops his grandkids off to school in in his bottle, full Bottolo show car. So... Uh, what else? Oh, he's got he's got our old um, fabric walling from the garage all the way down his fences at home on the outside, so all of the people <laughs> driving past can see it. So, yeah, he probably gets the title of super fan, <laughs> and I mean that in the nicest possible way. So, he's a, and he's, he's not alone. There's, the, there's there's we've got we've got a lot of passionate fans, um, and you know, and I and you know, and, and they're a great group of people as well. Um, you know, I don't do a, um, that many of the uh, sponsor pit tours, um, but I make sure that I do every one of the member pit tours because they want to talk to me. They want to know the inside of what's going on in the team, and I think that helps, um, you know, it rewards them for being a part of the team that they get that sort of inside access to me as to what is going on. Um, you know, they, they read all the speculation. They read, you know, everything that you media types, you know, speculate about the sport. Yeah, you I, media and types. And I've either got a confirmed that, like that accusation. <laughs> that sounds like an accusation, you media types. That sounds so negative. Oh, well, I've just got to confirm or deny what they say, but I do, <laughs> they, you know, they do get, um, they do get um, you know, a bit of information that you know, some other teams would treat as confidential, but, you know, I'm, you know they, they're, they're passionate and I, I reward them for their passion. We probably should mention too, um, we, we'll do some more team specials during the year on the podcast, but uh, people know so well about becoming a member of your footy club, particularly if you're an AFL or an NRL supporter, but um, race supercar teams have membership programs and a lot of people who are fans of the sport might not be aware. So you can actually become a member of, say, Tickford Racing and receive entitlements and merch and access to things that other fans can't. So um, I'm sure your, your membership program will be firing up in a it's growing year on year and you know that the top level members even get hot laps in the car so but they're you know they're a great group of people and you know there was no better example of that than last year when we were all on the road and there was a lot of wives and families left at home um, and a lot of our members were cooking food 
taken it round to, to some of the families that were left at home. So not only providing food, they're going around and cutting the grass for some of the people and things like that. So, you know, that was not something we asked them to do. That was just them stepping up, doing their bit to help the team. Yeah, it's one big team, isn't it? That's really great, really great stuff. The, the numbers, mate, 74 wins for uh, FPR slash PRA slash Tickford. Are we including that, the cars, uh, the wins under the Rod Nash 55 franchise run as an FPR car? And, of course, Rod became a, a co-owner of the team a few years later. Uh, you've been there for all bar one by my numbers. Craig Lance had a win in that first year in 2003 in the wet down at Phillip Island. But from when you turned up in 05, 73 out of 74, it would be obvious to ask you what are your favourite ones and you would say the two Bathurst wins. But outside of the Bathurst wins, what are some of the, the memorable wins or the really satisfying wins that maybe the fans have not got at the front of their mind like a Bathurst because it's such a, a big event? Ones that really were special to you? Well, well, well a standout is undoubtedly that one from 2012 in Perth where the you know you, you mentioned the infamous comment from Dutto because... Obviously, we went into that last lap with Will in the lead on completely knackered tyres. And from memory, Wincup was in second, Frosty was in third. And what a battle they had for that last lap. You know, it could have gone any way. But the way it panned out as they came out of the last corner, we were in first and second and Jamie was in third. Uh, I mean, the, the excitement and the elation on the pit wall at that point was next level. I mean, that... It, you know, and I'd like to think any motorsport fan would have just gone, what a lap. You know, that I mean, the race was great as well, but just that, that last lap, the jockeying and the, the comments on the radio and everything. So that was undoubtedly a memorable one, that. But, you know, you know, Sandown wins. You know, Sandown's a great one to win as well, you know. It's a long walk down to the podium there, so that's probably why you remember it so much. It's... um. Uh, yeah, but the, uh, the, I think outside of Bathurst, <laughs> that Perth that Perth victory for Wilbur, that was a cracker. I'm not sure how he made those soft tyres last, I think, the second half of the race. And I, I don't think he knows how he did, actually, either. But he, he managed to get it home. He's, next year, uh, it's 10 years since that, so we're probably due for a little, can have a little reunion between everyone involved and Dado can come along and put his yeah. two cents in again, I'm sure. So. <laughs> <laughs> He's mellowed. He's, he's mellowed as he's aged. <laughs> How deep was the ride? I mean, FPR and Triple Eight. Obviously, you mentioned before that that twelve, the year of the last Blueprint cars, you guys won every championship race that year. How bitter and how deep did that rivalry get between you guys? Because you guys were fighting for that title. You were the main contender in the years that Jamie was winning some of those crowns. Frosty and Will were giving him a, a big run for his money. How, how deep and how full on did it get between the two organisations? Oh, well, I mean, to be honest, you know, they've been successful for so many years. They've always been our, you know, our number one um, competitor. Um, you know, obviously Penske have stepped, well, DJ stepped up to the plate over the last, you know, two or three years, but, you know, and really sort of took us out of the limelight. But for, for quite a few years, it was uh, it was us racing head-to-head. Unfortunately, more often than not, we came off second best, but... You know, my view on that is, you know, you, you've got to be in the hunt. And we're in, we've are we been in the hunt, you know, every year, year after year after year. And, um, yep, you don't always get the top step. Only one bloke can stand on the top step. Um, but, you know, if if you're in the hunt, then then you're doing something right. And, you know, and we're generally in the hunt. There's no doubt that if we were to do a story of the team's history that Mark Winterbottom forms a big part of that. He was there for a very, very long time. He won the Drivers' Championship in 15. He won Bathurst in 13. And 
a pile of other aces and poles and podiums in among it. Um, he's kind of going to be the dominant man when we look back on the history of this team, wherever it ends or however long it goes for. How big was his in, the legacy he leaves at that team and the, the impression he made there? Because he went from young guy with an opportunity who turned that opportunity into a championship and ultimately a, a winning the great race as well. Well, I mean, 13 years, a Bathurst, a championship, you know, a close to Bathurst, you know, um, uh, you know he, he delivered so much for this team. And, you know, and even for me, you know, I almost felt like his dad, you know, watching watching the growth of Mark from a young kid that I cut a deal with in a was it Vietnamese restaurant um, <laughs> in, somewhere in Sydney in 2004, four or five. Uh, be five, five. Yeah, five, yeah, five. Um, you know, to the, to the, you know, by the time he left here, you know, he's got kids and wife, you know, you know, you know, one of the veterans of the sport. So, you know, it's, it's great to see somebody, you know, 13 years is a long time to, to be working together. And so, you know, we had highs and lows and, you know, he, we didn't always agree on things, but there was always healthy respect between us, um, you know. We like similar things outside of work as well. You know, he like he likes his ski boats and motorbikes and stuff like that as well. So, you know, we've always had a you know an interest outside of work as well. Um, and yeah, it's always sad when those sort of relationships you know end. Um, but you know, there was a there's a lot of good times in those thirteen years as well. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online. Thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. It, it's still weird. It is still weird seeing him drive a Commodore. I'm still getting used to it. It's taken yeah. it's a couple of years and it's still not doesn't feel right. It's just a, it's a yeah. very strange, strange <laughs> dynamic. <laughs> uh, we'll wrap it up in a sec, mate, but I want to quickly ask you, you've got um, three uh, co-owners of Tickford Racing these days, of course, Rod Nash, Rusty French and Sven Burkhartz. Tell me about the three different personalities because they're not um, the three guys that we see quite prominently, at, in term, obviously last year different with COVID and the like, but other teams have probably a more dominant uh, figurehead that is out there in the media a bit more often. Tell me about those three guys. Tell, tell me maybe something for our listeners that um, they don't know about these three guys um, from behind the scenes without getting in trouble, of course. <laughs> Need to be careful there. Well, obviously, Rod's the one that works in the in the business on a more day-to-day basis. You know, he's in the factory one or two days a week. Um, so, you know, he has a greater involvement with the team. Um, you know, the other two are really, they're almost silent um, investors, so to speak. You know, they... You know, they've both got a passion for motorsport, hence their investment into it. But getting into day-to-day, you know, that, that's not them. You know, they, they, they just, um, you know, turn up on occasion, stand at a race and watch what their race team's doing. But it's, um, it's not like Rod, who's actively involved in everything to do with the, the business. Um, uh, yeah, so, look, they're, they're just they're passionate racers, you know, both Sven and Rusty, race cars, have race cars for a long time. You know, you know. I think certainly for Rusty, you know, Rusty's investment was all about, well, I probably can't race cars forever, so how am I still going to get my motor racing fixed without um, without actually sitting behind the steering wheel? That said, 
he still jumps behind the steering wheel to this day. So he's probably, you know, he's, he's racing in, his actual driving career has probably gone further than even he expected. But Sven's the same, you know, he's, he's a lawyer, but he's an absolute petrol head through and through, you know. You know, he'd prefer if we race Porsches because that's really yeah. his thing and that's what he races, but we don't race Porsches. They're not eligible. Or, and so, um, but, yeah, he's, they're, they're just petrol heads, hence their investment in this in this business. Yeah, so many of those guys who love the sport are passionate supporters and uh, have, have got involved. And yeah, motor racing, once it's in the blood, it's, it's not going out anytime soon. But um, quick one too, sleuth-style question. If you could walk away from that team one day when you retire or they get rid of you or whatever happens when you finish up there and you can walk out the door with one of the cars, which one would you like to have? Oh, jeez. Well, there's two of the cars that I probably would have liked, which were the Bathurst winners, but unfortunately they've already gone to new homes to, to collectors who've, uh, who've, who've taken that opportunity away from me. Had one of those cars not been sold, I think it would have been a Bathurst winner. So I think outside of a Bathurst winner, it'd have to be the championship car. Which is still there, is, is it not? It's That's still, still the, the Super 2 car. Race, that, Super 2. Yeah. And yeah. once it's finished its Super 2 career, it will be converted back into the championship car. We get the big scoops here, Will. Great to chat to Tim and thank you to, to Tim last week for his time to give you some to give some thoughts to us ahead of the 250th round next weekend at Bathurst for uh, Tickford Racing. I didn't, I've heard of places that contracts and deals have been done, but Vietnamese restaurants in Sydney, uh, that's something new for supercars. And I think <laughs> no one else has probably ever signed their deal or done a deal in the same way. It makes sense, though. I mean, it's good food. you got to do the deal somewhere, and it's a bit more um, lively and warm and, I guess, anonymous if you don't want to be seen talking to a driver. And we know from our various chats in other podcasts in the last couple of years that FPR were talking to quite a few drivers for that seat, or at the very least, there are a lot of drivers who thought they were in contention for that seat. And, um, yeah, they weren't the one at the Vietnamese restaurant. No. Uh, one of the guys uh, that really figured... We talked about it with Tim, with, with Mark Winterbottom. I think we should pick up the topic. He's the franchise player in the history of, of FPR. Because totally. not just the longevity that he was there, he was there from 2006 through to a couple of years ago. Um, he was there through, he kind of turned up at the point where they were starting to get their stuff together. 2006, 07, 08, they really started to take up the fight to Triple uh, Eight and, and Walkinshaws, who'd been at the top of the game in the the years previous to that. Um, one championship and one Bathurst, though. I reckon there was probably more left on the table that could have been done there. You think of... We said we said this at the top of the show. They've all, Or you said this at the top of the show. They're always part of the conversation, but they weren't always the conversation. They're always the team that were challenging, but it's very rare that they were the dominant team. And there are a lot of instances where victories ended up being left on the table due to minor mistakes or bizarre things happening. You think of Bathurst in 2009, the boot explosion. Well, the reason, well, yeah, there was a reason, though, because they changed the battery in Mark Winterbottom's car and it wasn't properly um, affixed in place. So it rattled loose. And that's what obviously ignited in the back of that car. And again, they were running in a strong position. Uh, brought them undone. 2006 Bathurst, engine lets go. The thing was a jet with Frosty and Jason Bright yeah. early in the race. thing is, though, every team's got those tales of woe from Bathurst over the years. But 
Look at Mark Winterbottom's result sheet. It's stunning. And yes, there's only one championship win there. But from 2006 to 2015, so that's a decade, his championship finishing results for that team were third, fifth, second, fifth, third, 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 fourth, third, first. And then it tailed away in the last couple of years, sixth, sixth and twelfth before he moved to Charlie Schwerkholz's team for uh, 2019. That is evidence of being part of the conversation the whole way through. And, of course, his teammates in those various times, Will Davison was a contender in sort of 2012, 2013, running near the front. Stephen Richards had some great runs going in like 2008 sort of uh, time frame. And, of course, Jason Bright was really competitive when Frosty first turned up there too. So always part of the conversation, but... 2015's really been the only year where they were the conversation because they were the, the team that, in essence, dominated. I still remember that 2015 season, in particular the very start, because, of course, that was the first year of the FGX Falcon. That thing was an absolute jet. But the, when that was revealed to the public for the first time, possibly one of the best launches I've ever been to because it was on the deck of a Navy aircraft carrier. And then they just... And they were playing, like, the the Kenny Loggins danger zone music from Top Gun and all of a sudden <laughs> these two stunning looking Pepsi Max FGX Falcons rise up onto the deck of the carrier and um, Chas Mostert does a burnout on a carrier deck as, they, um, <laughs> drive the, as he and Frosty drive the cars up to reveal them. It's honestly like it's what, six years on from that now? Never forgotten yeah. that. That's, that's, yes. yeah, that's still a high watermark of supercars launches for me personally. Still in the memory bank. They've had some great team partners over the years, very iconic brands. Of course, Caterpillar, uh, Orcon Steel for a long time through Frosty, Trading Post with Telstra was there for a while, uh, Pepsi Max, obviously, the Bottle O, Monster Energy, Super Cheap Auto, plenty of uh, cars and brands that will stand out uh, right throughout the course of time. Remember that when it started, it was Ford Performance Racing, and as Tim mentioned in the chat, the company's always been Pro Drive Racing Australia, but it was trading as uh, Ford Performance Racing, Craig Lowndes, Glenn Seaton, David Bernard were the three foundation drivers for that team. And and Cito talks about that whole uh, selling of his team. So he sold what was Glenn Seaton Racing to ProDrive to David Richards, out of which FPR was born. Um, he did retain uh, his factory, but obviously he sold the licenses, some of the cars, all the gear in in one big lot. And he opens up about it, actually. It's really interesting, some of the stuff in Glenn's book that you can grab a copy from our uh, website. It's bookshop.vhsaluth.com.au. He really documents that FPR early era very well. The growing pains for that team, they basically wanted to build what HRT and HSV had built and been so successful with for so many years. The link between the road car high-performance program and the race car program, uh, on paper, HRT and FPR were the entities and then you had the road cars of HSV and FPV. But the Ford FPV, FPR thing, it didn't quite gel straight away. It gelled a bit later on, uh, but it never achieved the same sort of heights that the, the Holden, the red side of the fence did. Well, the Holden thing was just so heavily entrenched by that point anyway, and that's ignoring the whole history prior to HSV of the relationship between Holden dealer team, the the their road cars and the race team. So that's a very... That's a very entrenched thing to be going up against. Uh, in FPR's case, that was not helped by their performances on the track, which in those first couple of years, which 
starting out as a new team, admittedly, they had that background from Glen Seaton Racing, as Tim Edwards touched on. There was there were a few staff carried over, a few things carried over. But to go from a team that was essentially running one car to then running three cars, building multiple brand new BA Falcons over the course of that year and having the high profile of having Craig Lowndes installed as the driver, it would have been a big ask to, for them to come out of the gate very strong in any circumstance, but trying to try and operate three cars in that sort of transition year, you got to think they bit off way, way more than they could chew in that instance. And then that came back to bite them the following year when they slimmed down yeah. to two cars. Yeah, so they, they obviously, and this is an interesting thing. So right now, as we mentioned with Tim, the team's owned by Rod Nash, Rusty French and Sven Burkhart. But in that very first year, a lot of people will forget this, that two franchises came with the sale of the team of Glen Seaton Racing uh, to be able to run those two cars from my memory. But the, the, the additional one was from Rod Nash, who owned mm. his franchise. They weren't called Rex back then. They were just known as franchise. Uh, and he leased that to FPR. That's what underpinned the David Bernard car for that year. But for 2004, uh, he took that back and went to Larry Perkins' team. So, uh, and that was the the car that Tony Longhurst drove. So, obviously, they didn't have a license for that following season, 2004 for three. They needed to anyway go back to two to focus in on for for Craig and Glenn Seaton. And they had a, a whole bunch of nightmares with with engines. I remember vividly Winton, um, Craig's very young engineer, Des Conway, was moved on, I think, after Friday practice. They sent him home from my memory uh, when Nick Fry came out from ProDrive from the UK. I think they really underestimated the challenge ProDrive of, of V8 supercar racing. And I think they thought that it was going to be far easier sort of a thing of, uh, we know what we're doing, just do it from remote control from overseas. But they they really needed to have more hands-on approach. And I think they thought that they knew better. And other teams have been guilty of this in the past that have had overseas influence um, and were found to be sorely lacking and really needed to get back to, to basics locally. And obviously, Tim's arrival was a, a big part of that in, in early 2005. He's been part of the furniture ever since and has been there all the way through. So um, I think that that's one of those things when you look back on it and you go, well, there are always beasts within organisations. There's always politics. Things happen for certain reasons and they're done in certain ways that might not to you and I seem the best way to do, but it is to the person in power. So mm. they're in power. We're not. Yeah. Other people weren't. So that, that's the, the sheer fact. But I, I really like what this team has been. They've, they've been a few different things in terms of their brand. But I think when you look back on their journey, They've attracted some very good commercial arrangements. They've had some very good drivers. They've had, look, they've won 74 championship races of 551. Now, you can virtually write off the first three years of championship races because they, they didn't have a snowflake's chance in hell of really winning any beyond that one at Phillip Island that they kind of got lucky with. So mm. um, they've actually done a really good job of staying up there. I mean, other teams have risen but not stayed in the game. They float away. Triple Eight are kind of the exception to the rule in that they've stayed up the whole way through. But other powerhouses rise, fall, rise. It's a bit like football teams with the draft. Hmm. This team's always been there or thereabouts. Cam Waters was the runner-up in the championship last year. I mean, Mostert was 
strong there while he was there in the last couple of years. They haven't had like a year where their best driver has been 12th. Like they yeah. haven't, you know, slumped off the ladder that far. It's worth pointing out those two names that you just mentioned as well. Tickford throughout that time has also cultivated their own talent. So with Chaz Mostert, they had identified him pretty early in the development series and then ran him in the development series for what season and a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And then promoted. Very, well, very end of 2011, very end of yeah. 2011. He'd been driving for the miles racing team and they put him in one of their FGs at Sandown for, I think it was the second last round of the DVS in 2011. Yeah. And then they parked him at DJR for his main game debut, middle of 2013, then brought him back in-house for 2014, won Bathurst at the end of the year, and was a championship contender in 2015, all the way up until that awful qualifying accident at Bathurst. Cam Waters, similar progression. They they picked him up in Super 2. He raced to a Super 2 championship in 2015, graduated to the main game, and five years later, finishing second in the championship on pole at Bathurst. They've done a very good job of future-proofing themselves on a driving front. So as much as we think of Mark Winterbottom as being the, the, the figurehead of that organisation uh, behind the wheel for all that time, they've, uh, they've done a really good job where other teams, you look at Triple Eight, they haven't really had to worry about that. DJR Team Penske also haven't had to worry about that. But Tickford have actually looked around and gone, okay, we can't be necessarily reliant on trying to go out and get a big gun. Let's foster our own talent, and that's paid off for them. Yeah, it's a great point, and it's one that I was going to, to make as well. And They've got the chance here to build um, and keep going. Who's the next one? Obviously, Tom Randall's kind of waiting in the wings to get a, a bit of an opportunity, and you can see he's in the same mould of where Mostert and and Waters mm. have come through that team where they've got an opportunity. They've done some co-driving. Um, they've done the, the Super 2 Series, um, albeit Tom did go and drive for, for Matty White last year, but, you know, he's, he's back in the, the, the Tickford fold now. Great way to go because you're right. There's only so many big fish. They all cost a fair amount of money, even in um, the challenging financial times that the sport finds itself in. A big fish is still a big fish and the small fish are still small fish. Um, over the journey, this team's had a couple of name changes that we covered. Ford Performance Racing, it was from 2003 to the end of 14. Remember then that um, Ford pulled their backing, so obviously the team had to revert to Pro Drive Racing Australia for 15 through to the end of 2017, and then a rebrand uh, to Tickford Racing from 2018. And Tickford Racing felt, felt more normal. It feels right. Pro Drive Racing Australia... Um, Felt like a Pro placeholder just, name. Yeah, it does. Pro Even though it turned out it was their actual name through all those years, which I didn't realise. Yeah. yeah, that's right. It's one of those things where it just has too many ties, I think, to the, the UK and to the mothership. And yeah. by then the ties had obviously been broken with the ownership change to Rod Nash and, and Rusty French and then Sven Burkhart's later on becoming part of the ownership group. So um, may I present to you, though, Will, mm -hmm. and to our listeners, my five forgotten Tickford Racing drivers slash FPR slash PRA. Oh, I like this. I like where this is going. Uh, yeah. Five drivers that you've probably forgotten that drove for this team. Number one, Russell Ingle. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> 2015, I... Gold Coast. 
I personally will never forget. Forget. Of course, he he stepped in after Mostert had his horror qualifying accident at Bathurst and co-drove with Cam Waters at the Gold Coast 600. But I'll never forget the fact that he did this because if you remember that weekend, they had the Back to the Future activation yep. through Pepsi Max. Pepsi Max. I, I know. Was, I, I know where you're going. Yeah, yeah. So we talked about. I talked about earlier about how ProDrive had done their launch of the FGX on the carrier deck at the start of that year. Well, what they did to act, the video they shot to activate the Back to the Future themed Pepsi sponsorship for the Gold Coast almost tops that because, of course, you had Frosty, you had Chaz, and then... Tim Edwards was in it too. Tim Edwards was in it as Doc. <laughs> that was great. But the kicker was at the very end when they wheeled out Russell Ingle. Which was refilmed. Mm. Because, of course, so, that couldn't have been planned. No, correct. So uh, it had all been filmed a few weeks earlier prior to Bathurst. And I think Chaz was in the original cut, if my memory serves me right. And he remains in crash. Yeah, yeah they, they, but they sort of did a, a scene at the end where Russell emerges, well, what about me? Don't forget me or something or other. <laughs> I'm back. Um, I'm be- back from the future. I'm back. <laughs> 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 yeah, that was one of the all-time great bits of, uh, of social digital work. Uh, Peter Travaskis, who was the... The media manager at the time, uh, you can blame him for, uh, <laughs> for for wheeling that one out. So Russell Ingalls, one of my five forgotten drivers of the team. Cameron McLean, former privateer and longtime two-liter driver who drove his own supercars, um, did a bit of enduro stuff with him in 05 and 06. Uh, Alain Menu, the former British touring car champion, of course, the link through Pro Drive. He drove for Pro Drive in the British Touring Car Championship with the Mondeo Ford program. Uh, he was an endurance driver just for. Uh, it was at 2004, I think, from memory, alongside Adam Macro. Uh, Owen Kelly, a few people might forget that Owen drove for that team. Co-drove with Dave Bernard in 03 and Matty Halliday in 2007. I think he, he got a podium, actually, with Richo in the Castro car uh, at the Sandown 500 that year in, in 2007. Right. And Richard Lyons. Richard Lyons, remember that he drove with Mark Winterbottom uh, to get oh, that yeah. win on the Gold Coast in uh, 2011. Um which, of course, 2011 was the year, um, sadly, that was the crash at Las Vegas the previous weekend that Dan Weldon was killed and a lot of IndyCar drivers didn't make the trip and one of them was Will Power because he was injured in that accident and uh, Richard Lyons filled the seat and he and Frosty ended up getting a win. That, that was the infamous Bollards race where, remember, that the Bollards <laughs> kept firing off over the fence and they switched all the sensors off and Will Davison got the lap record um, that still stands technically because uh, everyone was allowed to just mow over every chicane like it didn't exist. So um, <laughs> I don't think that one's going to be beaten anytime no. soon. So there's my five forgotten drivers, but honourable mentions to uh, Jack Villeneuve, Nick Heidfeld, Christian Klein. They all drove the 55 Bottolo car on the Gold Coast um, over the years. So they've been able to attract a, a bunch of attention. But one of the things I thought was an interesting topic very regularly right throughout the journey, this team has always, not quite always, but more often than not, run customer cars. It's oh, a really true. long list. Like the amount of people who've brought their license to that team to operate a car on their behalf, I'd forgotten about a lot of these till I sat down and made a list the other day. But don't forget, Tickford, uh, what am I saying? So Tickford, well, FPR as it was, mm-hmm. uh, remember that they ran briefly the team Kiwi car. Started two thousand seven. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, remember that that 
turned to muck pretty quickly and it went off to Stone Brothers after that. Mm. Uh, there was the Super Black car some Back years later. Back, yes. Tony Lentino, the late Tony Lentino who fronted that up and um, Andre Heimgartner was there. Chris Pither got that pole at, at Queensland Raceway. The late Jim Morton, his Ford Rising Stars operation with Michael Patrizzi in 2008 um, ran out of there. Of course, they also ran their development car that James Moffat drove a few years later. Um, Jason Bright ran his, brought his uh, wreck there a few years ago. Rod Nash sort of turned up there before he was the team the co-team owner uh, with his franchise and the bottle of money to run Paul Umbrell and then later David Reynolds. Uh, team 18, Charlie Schwerkopf spent a couple of years there with a car for Alex Davison and then for Jack Perkins. And a lot of people will forget this, that, uh, well, they were pro-drive then, ran the Harvey Norman Supergirls, uh, Simone Di Silvestro and Renee Gracie in their wildcard at Bathurst in 2015. Mm. After that, the girls drove uh, a Nissan the following year. So um, their business model has uh, always been about running three or four cars where they can. And obviously this year they were intending on four, but they didn't quite get there with the, the wreck and the like. But there's a fairly firm history there of, uh, of outsiders uh, running cars out of the inside of that workshop. Which makes sense. I mean, as we've discussed, they've had a strong a history of being a strong team throughout that in, throughout basically 2007 onwards. Um, and they've had the capacity to run extra cars. So if you have a wreck and you want a competitive machinery, it's one of the obvious places to go. Yeah, and they've been competitive, not just in the main championship too, but Super 2, they've um, been strong in, of course. Mostert was fast in there. Didn't win the title, but he was a, a contender. Mm -hmm. Waters won the title. Gary Jacobson won the title. LeBrock was fast in 2016 when he drove there. Um, Richie Stanaway made a one-off, remember, at Sydney Motorsport Park in 2017. Tom mm -hmm. Randall's been competitive in, in the, the early years that he ran in the series before he drove for Matty White last year. So they've had a lot of young drivers use Super 2 as a bit of a spring bolt, and they've had some some guys who've, who've come through and gone on to, to do stuff within their team, but some of them have gone on to to run elsewhere as well. They're the big challenger this year uh, and for the future to Triple uh, Eight and DJR. I think Walkinshaw's are, are starting to show some signs of, of really getting there as well. I think they've almost, they're going to outtake Erebus on the Holden, on the Commodore scale of things. Um, is Tickford the threat to, to DJR and Triple Eight this year in your mind? I think so. They've got the greatest stability of any team outside of Triple Eight. Um, Cam Waters built his momentum very strongly over the course of over the course of last year. Was very strong at the end of it. So hopefully, for his sake, he can continue that on because that would make him a legitimate championship contender this year. And you look at James Courtney with a second year under his belt, or with a full year now under his belt at Tickford, still knows how to drive, still fast, and has a lot of experience that he can add to the team. Part of it is the unknown that. Dick Johnson Racing is going to be this year with all the changes that have happened there. But for sure, Tickford has got to be one of the key threats this year in the championship. Yeah, but will they be the threat? Not one of the key threats. Are they the threat? They off can the be. fence, please, sir. They can be. No, no, no. Get off the fence. Get right. off the fence. Anything can be. be. They should be. They should be. That's yeah. a more important statement. Yes, they should be. And if they're not, then there's got to be a few questions to probably ask as to why not? Over the journey, mate, uh, they've they've built a lot of race cars over the time, from BA Falcons right through to Mustangs in the current era. They've converted a few Falcons into Mustangs as well. They've written off a couple of cars along the way. 
Uh, and we should mention too that the Chas Mostert wreck that uh, was so badly crashed at Bathurst in 15, uh, we've got to kind of take credit for this, but we <laughs> saved it. it I, I've got no doubt it was going to get crushed. It had sat out at uh, the workshop at, um, at Tickford for some time in the aftermath of that accident. And there was also the crash wreck of Steve Richards' BF, the Castro car, remember, that um, ploughed straight on in the wall at Eastern Creek in 2008. And I think Chris O'Toole, the long-time crew chief at FPR uh, slash PRA, uh, was just against the whole thought of getting rid of those wrecks from the back. They're on the fuel dump out the back of the workshop uh, because he felt it was bad luck. But Tooley broke his leg in the motorbike shunt, remember, a couple of years ago. Was it two years ago? Yes, and while he right. was gone... While he was gone, they pitched the BF. It was gone. It was turf. It's gone. It's gone to the junkyard. Um, but we were doing a lot more work here with the National Motor Racing Museum and Brad Owen and his team up at Mount Panorama. And the crazy sleuth here thought, well, I wonder if they'd park that remnants of that car at the museum because, of course, it makes sense. It was damaged at Bathurst. People can have a look up close at the damage to the car and. Uh, how a, a sort of a modern car of the future supercar is built with all the panels, obviously, having been, having been ripped off it. Um, and we ended up floating the concept to Tim and Brad and, uh, and they made it happen. And that wreck now sits up at the National Motor Racing Museum at Mount Panorama, which is open uh, six days a week, every day by Tuesdays. Check the museum's Bathurst website or the National Motor Racing Museum Facebook page uh, for their opening times and what's going on. There's always cars coming or going or new exhibitions or or things being planned so keep across what the museum's up to and yeah if you're a, a pro drive fan you can uh, head in and have a look at what's left of that car because there's yeah it's it's an amazing remnant and i think it's better there than being crushed and uh, gone forever but how's the story about the race their their, their biggest fan i mean building a car out <laughs> of the bits don't tell him that that wrecks at the museum he might put all his body panels on that chassis there's <laughs> a higher level of commitment and good on him for look good on him for finding a second home for all that stuff that may otherwise have just gone to the tip i mean and also good on him for for flying his colors proudly and having all that stuff on the outside of the fence so everyone knows he's a ticket racing fan or and a supercars fan and a supercars follower more of it i say yeah, absolutely. I think there should be more uh, liveries wrapped on road cars out there, flying the flag. We could end up having a uh, a road car livery Grand Prix at some stage if we get 24 of them with everyone doing wraps on their road cars. <laughs> I, there is someone in Melbourne who drives around, was a lady at the time, a VF Commodore. It's in 2013 HRT Garth Panda livery. I spotted it just a few weeks ago. I hadn't seen it for some time. It, it gets around in the southeast suburbs of Melbourne. Um, so there's at least two of them that we know that are out there that we could end up putting together everybody's uh, livery replicas and we might be able to have a little bit of a, well, not a race, but a maybe get together <laughs> at some point when COVID clears. It's funny, I used to live on the northern beaches in Sydney and it turns out that is also where at the time whoever was the custodian of the Red Bull um, VF Commodore show car also lived and must have used it as their daily driver and I used to see that that car at Warringah Mall every so often Oh, it's funny some of those show cars a lot of those show cars were out of prototype cars that must be one day crushed they can't be sold or they can't be not all of them are like that but some of them are way back when I once upon a time had to drive the Kmart racing show car to a, a promotional event at the time 
It had the VY 2004 livery and body kit on it. Underneath, it was a 1997, I think it was, <laughs> VT Commodore. So <laughs> it had had a long life up to that stage, and it wasn't quite what it appeared on the outside, that's for sure. But uh, we love the passion of supercars fans. We have a lot of V8 Sleuth followers who they collect stuff. They're into stuff. They've got stuff. So if you're a Tickford Racing fan or if you're a fan of any other team, we'd love to see what your crazy collection is. Some people are hardcore into body panels. Some are model cars. Some are into flags. Some are into posters. Everyone's got a little bit of a thing that's their collecting thing. So by all means, uh, send us a post on our social media or our, our website through our email because we'd love to see what uh, you're passionate about and, and what you're into. Um, before we go, a little bit of a heads up too. Uh, we've run this promotion for a couple of weeks. We'll keep running it. It goes till February 28th. No Bathurst 12-hour this year. That made early February really suck for everyone mm. in Australian motorsport. Good news is, though, our Bathurst Going Global book that covers the last 10 years of the GT race. It's 320 pages, hardcover. It's got every car that's been in the race or qualified or attempted to qualify for the race um, photographed. So there's like hundreds of photos, full results, yearly chapters. It's a really great collector's piece to have on the shelf. And it is current until next year because there was no <laughs> race this year. We've got a, a code to put $10 off the price. So if you go to bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au, put the Bathurst Going Global book in your shopping cart, type in the code PEPPER, P-E-P-P-E-R, and we'll knock 10 bucks off that book. The offer's valid till February 28th. So a little while to go on that one before we get to the end of the month. Uh, that's us at the end of episode 93 as we take this look at Tickford Racing. Congratulations to everybody at that team, uh, past and present, on 250 championship rounds. Of course, next weekend, the Repco Supercars Championship fires up. For the Repco Mount Panorama 500, I'm still getting my mouth and my head around that event title. It's a bit of a new one. But looking forward to the supercars returning to the track, a pair of 250-kilometre races. Next week, we'll preview the entire championship, all the elements, all the factors, all the teams and drivers. And Will, you have to get off the fence. You're going to have to make a call next week on who is going to win the championship. You've got a whole seven days to come up with your answer. You think you're up to it? Look, I think we all know that motorsport will be the real winner. Oh, no. <laughs> right, ladies and gentlemen, for the next seven days, we are going to make sure that Will Dale brings a prediction next week. Thanks for joining us. Congrats again to everyone at Tickford Racing. And a big thank you to Tim Edwards for taking the time to go down memory lane as well. That's the V8 Sleuth podcast. Keep the socials rolling in. Keep the messages coming in via email. We love conversing with you all. And listen in in seven days' time as we preview the Repco Supercars Championship in the next episode of the V8 Sleuth podcast. We'll chat to you then. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number 2, and oil and find out.